Hello listeners, will you allow me a minute to tell you about Pass Test? If you haven't used them yet, you should. They are a fantastic online resource with hundreds of questions and answers covering multiple medical exams, including the MRCS, MRCP and medical finals. I've used them lots and found the resource so useful, particularly the past papers for these exams. As a listener to the podcast, you lucky people get 15% off some of these subscriptions. So don't wait around. I mean, do until the end of the episode, but then go and get your access. Links and codes will be in the show notes. Welcome to MRCS on the Move. Bowels, bones and backseat vibers. I'm your host, Naomi, but this is the podcast where you do the talking. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of MRCS on the Move. I hope everyone's well and uh, revision is going really, really great. I know there's probably an exam coming up soon, so probably all got your heads down and I do hope that you're finding these useful um, to on the uh, to use on the commute um, to really maximize the time that you have. I hope you're all remembering to have a bit of a rest as well, don't overdo yourself. I'm doing well if anyone is interested. Um, I had a lovely Christmas break and me and Darcy are currently learning how to settle in a pub which is I think one of the most important parts of her training but we are both doing great. So I am very happy today to welcome another special guest with me. Um, I have today Miss Gemma Faulkner, who was one of my colorectal surgeons just a couple of years ago um, as a core trainee and um, is a very inspirational surgeon to to work under, um, extremely good, and I very much enjoyed working with you. So um, welcome to the podcast, Miss Faulkner. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Um, and... I've invited Miss Faulkner on mainly because, as I said, very inspirational. But she does uh, work in colorectal cancer, does um, open and laparoscopic colorectal surgery. Um, so I don't know if you just want to say a little bit about what you do. Yes. Okay. Um, yep. So I am a consultant general and colorectal surgeon now working at Withinshaw Hospital, part of the Manchester University Foundation Trust, having worked for eight years previously as a consultant at Bolton, mm-hmm. trained in Manchester. Um, I have a subspecialty interest in pelvic floor dysfunction, mm-hmm. uh, and otherwise my job covers all other aspects of benign um, and malignant colorectal disease. Perfect. So we're going to talk about colorectal cancer today. Obviously, this is an absolutely massive topic that I'm sure we could do lots of episodes on, but we're going to touch a little bit on the sciencey stuff at the beginning and then some clinical things um, and see how far we get today. So we'll get straight into it. So first question is, what is the epidemiology of colorectal cancer? Okay. Um, Well, unfortunately, colorectal cancer is very common in the UK. It's currently the fourth commonest cancer affecting around 40,000 new patients every year in the UK. So the commonest cancers 
affecting people in the UK are breast cancer, then lung cancer, then prostate cancer, and then bowel cancer. In saying that, uh, colorectal cancer would be the second commonest cause of cancer death. So mm. at the moment, uh, for people who are born after 1960, the lifetime risk of developing colorectal cancer is about 1 in 15 for a man and 1 in 18 for a woman. So it's a very common cancer. Mm. Uh, generally speaking, colorectal cancer is more common in Western or westernized countries. Okay. So what are the risk factors? Um, I think we've probably touched on it or suggested a couple of them in that last answer, but what are the risk factors for colorectal cancer? Yeah, so looking at risk factors that cannot be modified, uh, you're more likely to develop a colorectal cancer when you're older, when you have a certain genetic predisposition, and also there's an increased risk with the diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. In terms of modifi modifiable risks, um, the contributing factors to colorectal cancer uh, include smoking, alcohol consumption, obesity, and diets which are high in animal fats, particularly red meat and processed meats, and particularly if that kind of diet is combined with low fibre intake. And it's also thought that colorectal cancer is associated with low levels of physical activity. So some of those uh, modifiable factors are seen more commonly in uh, westernized countries, particularly with regards to obesity and consumption of processed meat mm -hmm. and low-fat diets. And before, when you mentioned about um, the life expectancy of, or the life risk, lifetime risk, you mentioned a date. Is, there, is that higher since that date, or is it... So is there... Uh, well, no, that's sort of based... I suppose that babies born now in this century will have a longer life expectancy and okay. some of the epidemiological work that's done on the natural progression of certain cancers has been done on cohort studies of patient populations going back to the 50s or 60s okay. so the lifetime risk of a baby born today of developing colorectal cancer will be very different from the lifetime risk of someone born in the in the last century yeah okay fine yeah that makes sense um yeah. so what is the pathophysiology of colorectal cancer? So we believe that the majority of colorectal cancers develop through the adenoma to carcinoma sequence. So we think that the majority of cancers will develop from a bowel polyp. We think that there has to be certain a certain sequence of events that take place to change that adenomatous polyp into an invasive cancerous polyp. So not every adenomatous polyp will become a bowel cancer. So we think that most of these polyps originate as either tubular adenomas or serrated polyps 
and then there is some alteration in the normal mechanisms that regulate DNA repair and cell proliferation. So those mechanisms are altered in some way, and that means that as cells are shed from the mucosal lining of the bowel and replaced, there is um, issues related to how those cells proliferate, and a certain sequence of events has got to take place in a certain order, and then the adenoma will change into a dysplastic adenoma it will have a degree of dysplasia starting off as low grade mm -hmm. and then progressing to high grade dysplasia and then eventually becoming an invasive carcinoma. Now there are different pathways of that adenoma carcinoma sequence um, which is beyond my scope I'm afraid but one of them that we're quite familiar with now um, is the microsatellite instability pathway. There's another one called the chromosome instability pathway. Now, we know, apparently, the scientists know that the, um, for example, the microsatellite instability pathway takes around two years for a, an adenoma to become a carcinoma. The chromosome instability pathway takes a lot longer, perhaps up mm. to 10 years. Okay. And as I say, unless all those, uh, uh, those specific mutations occur in a certain order, then the adenoma will not become a carcinoma. From a clinical perspective, and, you know, partly the screening program comes into play here. Mm. We aim as clinicians to remove adenomas in order to prevent them from progressing into carcinomas over a long period of time. Yeah. And that's years. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, I remember looking at diagrams are quite good for this, this question, aren't they? I think just to look at that pathway and the way it changes, I think visualizing it is quite helpful. So maybe go away later and have a look at that. Um, a diagram of that sequence. Um, so and keeping it sort of simple, when we carry out colonoscopies for diagnostic purposes or as part of the screening program or on a surveillance program, mm. an adenoma or a polyp um, of a certain size would be more concerning. So many of the polyps that we see on a day-to-day -day basis are less than five millimetres in size. We know that when a polyp grows to be more than 10 millimetres in size, there's more chance that it's going to have dysplasia within it or invasive cancer. So that's the sort of size cutoff that we consider to be a high-risk polyp. Okay, great. Um, so this is probably a short question, but what is the most common part of the lower GI tract to find a malignancy? Okay, so around a third of bowel cancers arise in the rectum. I think it's important to know what presenting symptoms are likely to occur depending on the location of the cancer. Yeah. So currently, we get a lot of information through our National Bowel Cancer Audit Program, which provides mm -hmm. us with reports every few years about the um presentation and management of colorectal cancer in England and Wales. So mm. we know at the moment that around about half the people presenting with bowel cancer are referred in via their GP, okay. usually through two-week wait or HSC referrals. We know that around 18 to 20% of patients are presenting as an emergency. Okay. So it's interesting to know that people who present as an emergency with bowel cancer, they tend to be at the extremes of age, so either very young or very old. So perhaps particularly with regards to the younger age group, 
maybe people have not felt that they are likely to have a bowel cancer or their symptoms may not be in keeping. They're they're also, uh, the patients who present as an emergency are also more likely to present with right-sided colon cancers. So the right side of the large bowel, the cecum, is the thinnest, thinnest walled and most distensible part of the large bowel. So tumours can grow in that area and characteristically tumours growing in the cecum will cause anemia because of insidious blood loss. They can also cause obstruction at the level of the ileocecal junction. So patients can present with significant anemia or Mm. small bowel obstruction. Mm. Um, We know at the moment that the bowel cancer screening programme is doing an okay job, but probably only around 12% of people are diagnosed with colorectal cancer having been picked up on the screening pathway. And we know that people who present as an emergency are likely to have a poorer prognosis than those who have been diagnosed in another way. The screening programme tends to have a propensity to pick up patients with rectosigmoid cancer. Okay. At the moment, and I think I'll talk about the screening programme a bit more later, the screening programme has variable uptake depending on the different regions of the country. And by that I mean in some parts of the country people want to engage with the screening program and in other parts they're less likely to do so Mm. that's that's lower than what i thought through the screening actually i would have thought it would be high higher than that but that's on the most recent envocap data so that's Mm. um that's that's fairly low we still the commonest mode of diagnosis is via gp referral yeah great um so we're going to touch briefly on just some hereditary diseases that are associated with colorectal cancer so can you name any of these and say anything you know about them yes i can (laughs) okay so um the commonest uh, hereditary condition that predisposes people to colorectal cancer is called Lynch syndrome. For a while it was called hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer. So the name suggests it's an inherited condition that it's dissimilar from the other common genetic condition that predisposes to bowel cancer because Lynch syndrome doesn't cause you to form loads and loads of polyps. So We now tend to call it Lynch syndrome again. I know we're all moving away from eponymous names, but we've gone back to calling it Lynch syndrome. It's named after an American physician who who basically identified a a family who seemed to be getting a lot of cancers. Mm -hmm. So if you if you have Lynch syndrome and it is common, there's a there's meant to be around one in three hundred people carrying the gene, um, or or who are a carrier of Lynch, I suppose, um, it predisposes you to colorectal cancer, but also other cancers, including endometrial cancer, stomach cancer, um, small bowel tumours, pancreas tumours, uh, urinary tract and knee tumours, bile duct tumours. Um, the issue with Lynch, again, going back to the adenoma carcinoma sequence, I suppose, um, it's an issue with 
a DNA mismatch repair. Mm. So when DNA becomes uh, abnormal in some way, you, there needs to be a mechanism which will allow that DNA as it's copied to be taken out of the equation or destroyed so that you're not copying um, DNA which has an, an abnormality within it. So the problem with Lynch syndrome is you do not have this mismatch repair, DNA mismatch repair system. So the genes that tend to be affected, there's a whole long list of them. Um, MLA, MLHL, MSH2, MSH6, these are the ones that are often mentioned. Um, it's really relevant at the moment, Lynch syndrome, because there's been some new NICE guidelines last year. So mm -hmm. we know that if you have Lynch syndrome, you may present and report a family history of lots of different cancers in your family, and mm -hmm. they tend to arise in people at a young age. So we've always worked on the basis that if people present with colorectal cancer at an age we consider to be young, so that would be under 50, 55, we would consider that they might have Lynch syndrome. Mm -hmm. And in later years, we would test them for mismatch repair deficiency or microsatellite instability. Now, as of last year, NICE has recommended because we think that Lynch syndrome cancer um, is probably responsible for around 3 to 5% of presentations of colorectal cancer, NICE has recommended that everybody should be tested for mismatch repair or microsatellite instability to pick up this inherited condition. Everyone? Everyone. It's everyone. If, if they present early or just everyone? Everyone. Oh, if wow. 45 okay. if you're 90. So those tests can be done on the biopsies that are taken at the time of diagnosis. So mm. if a patient has a colonoscopy and has a bowel tumour, biopsies would be taken, which will go to the lab and they'll say, yes, this is moderately differentiated adenocarcinoma. They can actually do these tests on that biopsy or they can do the tests after surgical resection of the tumour. Yeah. But you might say, why do you have to do that? So it's quite, that will be quite a lot of work, you can understand yeah, for the yeah. histopathology department. It's being rolled out, it's not yet... Um, it's not been fully taken up by everywhere yet, but that's the nice recommendation. Yeah. And in the next, uh, the again, the National Bowel Cancer Audit Project will collect this data to see whether we're doing this. The reason for doing it, well, it has consequences for the patient and consequences for their family. Yeah. So the main consequence, I suppose, is for their family in that, uh, you know, family members will need to be aware that they may be potentially at risk also. Um, but also it may it may in some circumstances change decision making in terms of which operation is offered for okay. someone that has Lynch syndrome. So we know that people with Lynch syndrome tend to present more commonly with right-sided tumours. Mm -hmm. And we know that um, patients with um, this mis these mismatch repair deficiencies do not respond to certain chemotherapy agents in the same way as people who are mismatch repair proficient. Now that becomes oh, okay. a bit more complicated yeah, yeah. and most of what that work has been done in the arena of metastatic disease. So there's this very famous paper now which was uh, published in New England Journal of Medicine last year looking at a really small number as in 12 patients who were mismatch repair deficient mm -hmm. so who don't have this uh, aren't able to do the um repairing of these DNA alterations and 
they had locally advanced rectal cancer, they were all treated with um, one of these monoclonal antibody immuno uh, immunotherapy agents, and they all had a complete response to treatment. So it made it into popular media because essentially these patients were treated with curative intent with chemotherapy agents and never required surgery so it highlights the importance of of determining the uh, genetic structure of some of these cancers because they respond differently to different chemotherapy agents now when we talk about treatment, we'll talk about the fact that the treatment of colorectal cancer, like many solids tumours, is surgery. Yeah. But there is now uh, new uh, agents coming through, which may which may change that in the future. Yeah. So that what that is why it is important to know about this these um, the possibility of these being an, uh, an inherited form of cancer, if you like. So that's Lynch syndrome. And going forward, if you attend colorectal cancer MDTs you may hear that people are talking about getting MMR status checked um, as as part of the assessment of the patient Mm, very interesting yeah fab so familial adenomatous polyposis coli is a condition that many people are aware of but it's much much rarer than Lynch so that is a condition where there's a defect in the APC gene it's autosomally dominantly inherited although about a quarter of people who present with it have developed it de novo, but they've just spontaneously developed it. You start to form hundreds of adenomatous polyps in your colon from about the age of 16 years on until your colon is carpeted with polyps and you have 100% risk of colorectal cancer. Mm. Most people will be diagnosed by the age of 30. The treatment is to remove the colon and rectum. You're also predisposed to other cancers, including uh, stomach and duodenal cancers. Um, And there are also associations with soft tissue tumours and some CMS uh, cancers as well. Um, So we're going to stop there and just done all the kind of spiel beforehand. And we're going to do another episode um, on all the clinical stuff um, that we need to know. So thanks for listening. Thank you very much for being with us, Mr Faulkner, today. Um, that's been a great start and we will be back with part two of colorectal cancer uh, next week probably bye bye oh, well,